0: Welcome to another of the 10-Minute Cood Street Podcast. This is Gary Wolf, and today I'm spending 10 minutes with novelist, poet, scholar, critic, teacher, professor, uh, Theodora Goss. How are you today, Dora? I'm okay. Thank you so much, Gary. I was just, I I, I thought, I started off with a poem because I I just read your narrative poem in in, in Jonathan's uh, Dragons, Book of Dragons.
1: Um, Oh, my dragon poem. There's a story behind that. Oh, really? Well, a little bit, yeah. So I um, if you want to hear it, um, I wrote this poem about a woman who suddenly one day finds these little dragons that have moved into her apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote it when I was a college student in a poetry course. It was one of the first things I wrote for a poetry course. Hmm. Um, and my poetry teacher, who was, a famous poet, one of these guys who's known in the world of poetry, had no idea what to make of this. He did not understand why I was writing <laughs> about dragons moving into a woman's apartment, uh, and, and you know, her trying to figure out what to do with them. Right. Um, and I always looked back at this poem, and and I, you know, after that, I sort of felt like I had to write very regular, serious poetry in his course. Of course. Uh, years later, I looked back at the poetry I'd written for this course, and I realized the only thing that was actually any good that I'd written for that course was this dragon poem. (laughs) And then Jonathan asked me for a dragon poem specifically for this anthology. He said, write me a poem. And Uh I said, you know what, that basic idea of a woman who suddenly finds these little dragons and, and then what happens to her. And it's really about her and her life. um, That became this much longer, hopefully better poem than the one that I wrote as a college student.
0: It has a great last line. Um, which I, I I guess you can't spoil a poem, but anyway, it's also a story. And that's one of the things that strike me is uh, you can be one of the few people that say you have both a poem and a story in this anthology.
1: Um, because, I don't think I have a story in that particular anthology. But the poem is a story. It's a narrative poem. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, you're right. The poem is a story. And I like to write poetry like that. You know, um, one of the <laughs> I had a little bit of a crazy year because in the last Uh, year not not just this year but in the last whole year I had three books come out Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, one of them was a a collection of fairy tale stories and poems so prose stories and poetry and many of the poems there tell stories I think I like to tell stories through poetry.
0: Uh, What um, speaking of of what you've got coming out, I want to get to that because there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. But first, uh, the question we ask everybody on these little short podcasts is, what? What? Well, I know what you've been doing with final exams and that sort of thing during a period of shifting to online. But what, are you able to get any reading done for yourself these days?
1: Um, not a whole lot, unfortunately. I have a list of books that I want to read, uh, but actually, I've been reading very interesting things for my course because uh-huh. I try to keep up with um you know all the stuff that's going on um theoretically on the topic of my course but the topic of my course was monsters it was called the modern monster and so I gave my students things that had to do with monsters that I thought would be particularly interesting and I gave them some stories that I hadn't read. Um, either for a while or that I wanted to read and hadn't read before. Um, And I was trying to remember what they were now that uh, the semester's over and my brain's in a bit of a fog. Uh But things like Winter's Wife by Elizabeth Hand, Each to Each by Sean and McGuire, um, St. Lucie's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves, which is a story I've loved for a long time by Karen Russell, um, and, uh, oh, Ogres of East Africa by... um, uh, Sophia Samatar which oh, yeah. was a wonderful story I read it the first time and I thought whoa what what just happened what is going on in this story because it's really the the notes that a man who's a kind of servant or uh uh almost like a butler uh but he's he's um helping this big game hunter. And the big game hunter is a a European in Africa, and he's gotten tired of hunting animals. And he says, I want to hunt ogres. Uh And so he, he is told to go find information on ogres, African ogres. And he meets a woman named Mary. And the story is these accounts of different ogres that Mary tells him about,
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, which is interesting in and of itself. But then he appends these notes that his employer is not supposed to uh, to read, and the notes tell a different story. And it turns out that these ogres, the 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 concept of the ogre is a metaphor, and there's uh-huh. another story being told here. Um, and there's a plot that unfolds in what are They're not footnotes exactly, but they're almost like that. They're like marginal notes to the story that end up being the real story. It's very clever.
0: You mentioned that you've been reading some contemporary Hungarian fiction as well.
1: I've been trying to there. It's on my radar.
0: I should say say stuff that we could read that's in translation because.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, my Hungarian is very, very poor and I'm working on it. Unfortunately, Um, I, I was born in Hungary. And I spoke fluent Hungarian until I was five years old. Well, I would say probably seven years old. Mm-hmm. And then I grew up in the U.S. Uh, we moved here when I was seven and I grew up speaking English and I basically forgot Hungarian. So I really need to relearn it. And when I go back to Hungary, things start to come back to me. But when wow. I'm here and I'm reading in English and teaching in English, a lot of it goes away. Um, but I uh, my on my first thing on my reading list right now is a book that was recommended to me that's I understand newly translated it's Magda Szabó which who's a very famous Hungarian writer and it's called Abigail. Um, my understanding is that it's kind of a YA story, it's a boarding school story and mm-hmm. it's mysterious, it's suspenseful. Um I have friends who are Hungarian fantasy writers who really recommend it. And I'm looking forward to getting to it. And and there are other things, more historical things that I'm looking forward to reading in Hungarian because um, I'm hoping to both increase my knowledge of Hungarian literature and also hopefully (laughs) hoping that I will eventually be able to read things other than just children's books in the language. I can do children's books, but but adult books are still very difficult for me.
0: Do you have any comfort food reading that you would recommend or? that you would go to in a, in a stressful time like we're having now?
1: I was thinking about this question uh, because people have been talking about it online and yeah, the, the um, uh, things that I tend to read for comfort um, actually are, they're, they're things I'm not sure other people would find them comfortable, but uh, <laughs> things like detective stories actually um, murder mysteries, and mm. some fairly dark things. Daphne du Maurier, for some reason, I always find very comforting. She wrote Rebecca, uh-huh. um, and uh, sure. Shirley Jackson is comforting. Sure. I don't know why okay. Shirley okay. Jackson would be comforting.
0: I think most people would think the opposite, maybe.
1: I know, <laughs> and yet somehow um, the, these darker stories uh, – I don't know why Shirley Jackson is comforting. I I think the reason that murder mysteries are comforting – um, and I should say that I am on currently on a Veronica Mars binge with my daughter, and we love them. They're so clever. Uh-huh. Um, but you have resolution. There I think are that's a lot it. of dark things that happen, but there's a clever person who figures out how to deal with them.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's the appeal of, of, of murder mysteries, that the, the idea that things can be solved, that you know, things can be wrapped up at the end. Yeah. Quick, quick, quick question about Shirley Jackson. Between... I. Apart from the short stories, which are astonishing in their own way, uh, would, would, you, would you have a preference between The Haunting of Hill House or We Have Always Lived in the Castle?
1: Oh, my gosh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I really like We Have Always Lived in the Castle, and I've read it much more recently. I think I like it better, um, but I'm not sure I can tell you why.
0: I mean, you're you're exactly in the same boat I am because i've been, but partly because of the t v series last year, year before last, and people are always talking about the haunting Hill House, which is one of the great, if not the great, haunted house stories right who've always lived in a castle has a really haunting, scary voice
1: um, I think it's the voice I think you're absolutely right, I think it's the voice of the protagonist right. there's something about that, and there's 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 something about it that is obviously very dark, but very beautiful. Yeah. Um, There is this, uh, you know, you look at the book from the inside and the conclusion, the ending is just devastating. It's terrible. And yet you look at it from the inside, from the the point of view of the protagonist. And she sort of is at a place where she has what she wants and she's happy. I, It, it's yeah it's, a, it, it's a, a, a kind
0: of resolution but it's a resolution based on character rather than plot
1: yeah
0: but yeah. okay let's get, let's get to the other thing you've got um well we already mentioned you have a a poem coming out in jonathan's anthology uh, i do
1: oh you know what gary just before we leave this um mm-hmm. the, the oh, yeah. question of what i was reading i just oh, wanted yeah. to mention this wonderful book you know i don't know how anyone listening to this will feel about this, but you and I being academics, it's, it's the monster theory reader by Jeffrey Weinstock. So the other thing actually that I find really comforting reading now is nonfiction. Um, Things like people writing about literature, literary theory and, and books about the natural world books that explore, I don't know how birds behave or Mm -hmm. gardening. um, or uh, conservation efforts in various places. There's something very soothing about um, nonfiction and actually mm-hmm. I, I think it may be the same issue of, of people finding stuff out and people solving problems. It's this idea that human beings can do things and can do very interesting things. Uh, so The Monster Theory Reader by Jeffrey Weinstock and also uh, On Monsters by Stephen Asma is a wonderful
0: book. Okay, so
1: it's <laughs> theory, okay, see, literary theory. Sorry.
0: Well, yeah, and, and that makes we, we we both missed going to ICFA this year, and yeah. uh, that's where we would have had a chance to talk about these books. But yeah, but your own work because you certainly sure. have um, we ha- you you've mentioned uh, your own collection, Snow White uh, learns witchcraft.
1: Yeah, I had three books come out. Um, you know that I have a series. The last book in the series just came out. The series started with A Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter. Uh-huh. Then it went to European Travel for the Monstrous Gentlewoman, <laughs> for which I did a lot of research in Europe, and I'm missing <laughs> Europe right now. And the third one was The Sinister Mystery of the Mesmerizing Girl. And that came out in hardback back in October, and it's coming out... In paperback in June, and there's also an audiobook out. And then the second thing that came out in February was Snow White Learns Witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And this was a collection of short stories I had written over the years with some new ones that are based on fairy tales. So they're fairy tale retellings and there are also a bunch of poems in there. So it's a mixture of poetry and short stories. And this came out in paperback in February and an audiobook just came out as okay. well. Uh, And the third thing that came out, which would have been out at ICFA, in fact, I would have Mm -hmm. been able to give you a copy there, is uh, not something I wrote, but something I edited. It's called Medusa's Daughters, Magic and Monstrosity from Women Writers of the Fantasiakla. And what I did Mm -hmm. was try to collect these really interesting kind of dark or magical, either one, short stories and poems from women writers, uh, from the turn of the the you know 19th to 20th century, this time when you had this explosion of inventiveness in the literary world and the art world, it's when you had Art Nouveau, you had the Secession movement. Um, you had a uh, huge technological change. You had a women's rights movement, the suffrage movement for women, for example, you had workers' rights movement. So there were, there were a lot of things going on during this era. And you had people writing, you had sort of the invention of modernism. Uh, and you had Kate Chopin, Willa Cather, um, uh, Virginia
0: Woolf. It was interesting to me that the because of the anthology is both British and American, and yeah. you, usually when Americans think of fan de siècle, you you you'll think of uh, um Walter pater or vernon Lee. or or, or but Lee's in there okay Vernon Lee and does that story okay one of the weirdest stories I know I think it's in there uh, called Luella Miller
1: yeah luella miller which is an american story it's a wonderful story it's a vampire story
0: it's an american sort of regional vampire story mm-hmm. but by, by i can't i'm blanking on the author's name um mary wilkins freeman yes mary wilkins freeman um and one of the things that strikes me about uh that and i've, I've not read the whole anthology i just got it not long ago uh, is that some of these things we think of as literary inventions that is taking the vampire story and writing about psychic vampires in a kind of psychologically sophisticated way. They were doing that a hundred years ago.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that you have to do if you're a kind of literary outsider, these women were literary outsiders Yeah. simply because they were women. Um, and they had to be inventive. And so they were doing things in their writing that I think uh, are, are very modern, are very on the cusp, right. Between. Right the Victorian era and what we think of as modernity. And I actually, uh, I, I begin with this um, little, almost like a meditation by Kate Chopin called an Egyptian cigarette, which mm. is, it's like a dream. It's like a fantastical dream. It almost sounds like um, Lord Dunsany, except maybe a little bit more pointed. And then you uh, have at the end, a haunted house by Virginia Woolf. And now it really is moving into you know the 20th century literature
0: sounds fascinating but we're past our our our, uh, allotted time Uh, i want again uh, i want to again thank um, theodora gosh for being with us for for this episode of the Cood street podcast thank you dora
1: thank you gary thank you so much